Well, we've all seen debates. We saw quite a few last year. We've seen two or more people argue to make a case for their way of interpreting a subject. In the case of our two political parties, we have Republicans and Democrats arguing as to what is the best way to uphold our Constitution and their plan or agenda in executing it. Republicans tend to lean more conservative. We also call that the right. They lean towards that type of government. And Democrats lean towards a more liberal form of government, also called the left. Early Christianity had parties as well. There were groups in the early church that had different interpretations on who and what Jesus represented. Some early church leaders, like the Bishop Arrhenius, wanted to consolidate the many different versions of Christianity into one Catholic church that believed that the Bible should be, should be understood as promoting Jesus as God in the flesh, the one and only Son of God. They believed in the literal version of the Gospels, that Jesus was born of a virgin, they believed in the many miracles. They believed in the transfiguration. They believed in transubstantiation, that is, the communion meal where the bread and uh, wine are actually turned into the physical body and blood of Christ. They believed in one baptism, and they believed that Jesus was physically raised from the dead. But other groups did exist, however, who you likely have not heard of. And they, too, had their own interpretation of who Jesus was. Early in Paul's letters, one can read of divisions in the church. In Galatians 2, verse 11, you can read a story about how Paul admonished Peter. It says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood self-condemned. Here you have Paul, who's never met Jesus, had been persecuting Christians, but now here he is yelling at Peter, who was Jesus' appointed leader, as being in the wrong. In 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 10 through 13, we see another case of division. When Paul writes, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you at the church. My brothers and sisters, what I mean to say is each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, which is Peter, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? There are many other examples of this in Scripture. In fact, that's really what ended up doing Jesus in with his fellow Jews. He had a different interpretation of Scripture than the other rabbis. We see this today in the vast spectrum of Christian belief. And people, people often wonder, how can we call ourselves the church? when we literally are a house divided. 
The early church fathers wanted to do their best to unite the different factions that existed in the church, and so they decided to land on a simple, conservative approach to Scripture, where you read and understood the Gospels as they were. If you came across anything confusing, you could just trust the interpretation of your bishops, of your church leaders, or even better, you could skip over those passages and hold on to just what made sense to you. In their effort to unite Christianity and form that vision Irenaeus had for one Catholic church, conservative church leaders worked together to push out what they believed were false teachings. Bishop Arrhenius wrote a book in about the year 180 AD called Against Heresies, where he argued for his version of Christianity and did his best to refute other people's teachings. Until 1945, all we knew was that groups existed in the early church, but we didn't have their gospels. We didn't have their interpretation of scripture, for we only saw it through the lens of church leaders who were opposed to them. But, like a repressed memory lodged deep within us, we found those other teachings in the Nag Hammadi Library. Early in the church, people had the Gospels, but they also had other Gospels, commentaries, books on the life of Jesus. And today is probably one of the first times you're going to see it opened up and looked at. Maybe you've seen something about it on the History Channel, but many in our churches have never had a look for themselves. Nobody's ever looked or explained what these books might have to say or might have to help us, how they might help us understand Jesus in a different way. They were written about the same time as the other Gospels. Some scholars think maybe even earlier. If you look at them, many of the verses in them do line up with sayings found in the four Gospels that we have. The difference, though, is that the followers of Christ didn't see Jesus in the same way as their peers, so they interpreted it a little differently. Our look at the third passage found in the Gospel of Thomas will challenge our previous understanding of what Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven and the nature of Jesus Christ as the one and only Son of God. One major teaching in Christianity is that when we die, we go to heaven. And in order to get to heaven, one needs to believe in Jesus. And this interpretation of Jesus was taught early on. Yet today, when we wrestle with Scripture to be more inclusive, one can't just ignore statements like the one I'm going to read to you that's found in John. Jesus is told to have said to his disciples, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwellings. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself 
so that where I am, there you'll be also. And you know the place where I'm going. Thomas, who we're going to be talking about, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. And who gets to go to heaven? No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you'll know my Father. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. Ironically, here, we see Thomas asking this question. And what some scholars believe was that John and Thomas, both, one of, the, both of the 12 disciples, are at odds with how to view Jesus. John is the only gospel to record that Thomas is a doubter in physical resurrection. And he excludes Thomas as one who has not received the gift of the Holy Spirit. He will write his narrative in order to purposely contest Thomas's view on Jesus and how it is that people end up in the kingdom of heaven. For the first time in 2,000 years, we have a document that was discovered hidden in a monastery, and it's going to give us a different interpretation of what we traditionally have struggled to hold on to. Thomas is going to give his interpretation of how we enter the kingdom of heaven based on his experience with Jesus. That unfortunately was too different of an interpretation to be included in our Bibles. He says this in the third writing from the Gospel of Thomas. Yeshua said, Jesus, Jesus said, if your leaders tell you, look, the kingdom is in heaven, then the birds of heaven precede you. What this means is, if anyone tells you that when you die, you go up to the sky, to the heavens, the birds have already beaten you there. It's not up in the sky. He then says, if they say to you, it's in the sea, then the fish will precede you. If it's somewhere below the earth, then the fish have already beaten you to heaven. Surely it isn't under the earth. Jesus continues, but the kingdom is inside of you and it's outside of you. When you know yourselves, then you'll be known. And you will understand that you are children of the living Father. But if you do not know yourselves, then you will dwell in poverty. And you are poverty. Thomas is going to give his followers a different interpretation of how it is that one enters the kingdom of heaven. These Thomasine Christians who believed that Jesus was the Son of God didn't believe that to be exclusive to Jesus. What they believed in was that Jesus was the one who came to show us that all of us are children of God, capital C. We just haven't realized it yet. They believed that all of us were born with the Spirit and with the light of truth inside of us. 
but that we had forgotten it. In the next passage, Jesus goes on to say, look at the children. They have that light inside of them, a natural curiosity to ask, seek, and knock. But it's often the older folks that decide that one has to accept a certain religion, dogma, or creed to receive entry into the heavenly paradise. But Thomas didn't interpret Jesus' teaching this way. In the next passage, he says that in order to ascend to the kingdom of heaven, Yeshua said, Know what is right in front of your face, and what is hidden will be revealed. There's nothing hidden that will not be revealed. Thomas teaches us that the kingdom of heaven is found when you know thyself, something Socrates taught as well, and that entry into the kingdom isn't up to Jesus. It's up to you. It's up to me, not Jesus. If I'll make it to that place I dream of beyond this life, Last week, we read the first passage of Thomas where it says, Jesus taught them, whoever discovers what these sayings mean will not taste death. And so I pondered what this disciple of Jesus might be getting at. He says that Jesus taught that the way to heaven was by me understanding and knowing who I was as a child of God. And that any mystery of what is beyond can be seen right here and now. That it's right in front of my face. Right in front of my face? As I was reading the Gospel of Thomas this week, my wife Ashley was laying down and watching a show on Netflix. And I had my book up in my face and I put it down, and thought about it. The kingdom of God and all the hidden mysteries of life were right in front of my face. I looked at her. She didn't notice. And a passage of scripture found in Ephesians 5, 25 through 33, came to my mind, where it says, Husbands, Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He who loves his wife loves himself. This is a great mystery, Paul writes, and I'm applying it to Christ and the church. And I looked at my wife And I said to myself, it's right in front of my face. In order to transcend my current state, I must submit myself to my wife. I must love her, cast off those things that might hurt her, my anger, my lust, my selfish ambition, 
and my pride. For those things are of the flesh. And Paul writes in the letter to the Corinthians, flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I thought of many passages found in the gospel, gospels themselves, things that Jesus taught on how I must die to myself, how I must lose myself, and how I must be transformed into the likeness of Christ, into the likeness of a child of God. As Christ loved the church, I'm to love my wife. This same thing can apply to any loving relationship. Thomas tells us that Jesus was teaching people how to grow and evolve. He was teaching people that heaven wasn't off somewhere in the distance. Heaven is right here in this life. It can be found and experienced when we love, when we forgive, when you don't want to forgive, when we're generous, when you don't want to be generous, when we stand up against injustice, even if that injustice is not pointed at us, when we help the needy without judgment, when we put aside our fleshly ways, when we do these things, we find a heavenly well, a heavenly way, the way of love. Thomas writes that the disciples, in response to this teaching, asked Jesus, does this mean you want us to fast, pray, give alms, and follow a certain diet? Yeshua tells them, just don't lie, and don't do what you hate. Imagine that. Jesus doesn't give us any more dogma, creed, or doctrine. He simply says, don't lie. And don't do what you hate. When we play the game of telephone, we have seen firsthand that messages get mixed up. And I wonder if early on, Jesus' message may have parts of it that have been lost in translation. For in this gospel, Jesus is telling us that heaven is something to be experienced now in our everyday lives. And it happens when we choose to love one another, when we submit to one another, when we love our enemies and see every human being as we see Jesus, as a fellow son, as a fellow daughter, as a fellow person of God. I think that Christians from very early on were given strict lenses in how to view and interpret Jesus. But now, in 2021, Thomas offers us another pair of glasses in which we might understand and read Jesus in some new ways. Maybe the world wasn't ready for Jesus back then. Maybe the Spirit is still speaking today. Maybe the Holy Spirit also called the Holy Mother in these writings we're looking at, has guided us to more truth when we discovered those books at Nag Hammadi in 1945. May we open our hearts and minds to hear and understand. And may we open our eyes to see that 
God is still leading his church into a richer way, a more inclusive way, a more realistic way of understanding than we had previously known. Amen.